Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Let's face it, the future is now. We're living in a connected cyber society, and we need to stop ignoring it or pretending that it's not affecting us. Join us as we explore how humanity arrived at this current state of digital reality and what it means to live amongst so much technology and data. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Okay, here we are, Redefining Society, another episode, another topic that it's not completely new. We talk about education quite a bit on this show, and I feel like that's really something that has to do with society, because that's how we prepare ourselves when we are young, studying, and maybe keep studying as we, we, we're going through life and stay updated, especially nowadays with technology in our in our radar and everything that we do and uh, you just cannot learn something and then say okay I know everything I, th I feel like we need to stay updated on things and sometimes even change our path during our our life so all of this to say that today we're talking about education and uh, we have uh, Rick Bambo in Asia Bejanya with us and uh, we're going to talk about some interesting program that come from the Western Governors University from both the administrative side, let's say, Rick representing the, the, uh, the university and Asia being on the side of the students as she just joined not too long ago uh, the, the courses. So we're going to start with, start with Asia and he, giving us a little background about yourself and uh, what brought you to join this, uh, this course with the university? Great. So, hi, my name is Asia Bahanya, and I'm a software engineering student at Western Governors University. Um, I grew up in Florida and currently live in California. Um, I'm passionate about music design and technology, and my areas of interest are human-centered AI, data privacy and security, and open source technology. Uh, my goal is to work on tech projects that are inclusive and ethical by design and have a positive social impact. Um, so I actually graduated with a first bachelor's degree in nonprofit management from the University of Central Florida in May 2020 and earned my certified nonprofit professional credential about a year later. Um, I finished my degree in the early stages of the pandemic when the entire world was pretty much locked down. Uh, so instead of entering the workforce, I decided to pivot into tech since that was originally what I wanted to go to school for. Um, I started college full-time at 16 as a dual enrollment student at Valencia College with the intent of getting a CS or IT degree. Um, I took a few programming and IT courses and liked them a lot, but I was extremely burnt out by the end of my senior year and didn't think I was cut out for a rigorous STEM degree anymore. 
Um, I was always considered bright and intelligent and definitely capable, but I struggled most of my life with anxiety and depression due to undiagnosed autism and chronic pain due to migraines and endometriosis. Um, I graduated high school in 2016 and only needed like three classes to finish my associate's degree, but I decided to take a gap year instead so I could focus on my health and figure out what I wanted to major in when I went back to school. Uh, so I lost my health insurance during my gap year when I turned 19 and wasn't really ready to go back to school since I couldn't really do anything about my health, but I finished my AA anyway and transferred to UCF in fall 2018. Uh, I picked nonprofit management because I thought it would be fulfilling to working in a field where I could serve communities in need and advocate for good causes, but I realized when it was too late that I hated the idea of working in a people-facing role where I would have to heavily mask and pretend I'm super extrovert in order to do my job. Uh, during lockdown, I started researching more about social entrepreneurship and different types of social enterprises and thought that the world needed more tech companies like Protomio or Signal, for example, which have strong social values and creates digital products and services that don't exploit people's data or right to privacy. Uh, I felt inspired and motivated since I didn't want to let my first degree go to grow to waste, sorry. So I started taking program and UX design courses on Coursera and was accepted into Master of Entrepreneurship program at UF in fall 2021. Uh, my goal with grad school was to learn the business side of things so I could someday start my own tech B corporation or nonprofit, but unfortunately I had to withdraw after a semester after I was hospitalized for three days due to complications of a suspected autoimmune disorder and the extreme brain fog that lingered for months after that. Well, this, you, you have a lot of story here. Let yeah. me let, let me stop you because maybe we want to dig into it as as we go into this uh, okay. this conversation. Yeah. But I feel like I could have already asked you a million questions, going from uh, you know the, the the diversity side of things to yeah. the the neurodivergency mm -hmm. to your interest in uh, artificial intelligence, which I could have an entire story just for that. But before we go there, let's give the word to Rick. And okay. Rick, a, a little bit about yourself, what is your role with the, with the university? And then uh, you know, we, we can chat about how these two sides meet together. Fantastic. Uh, Marco, let me just start off with saying thank you for the opportunity to talk about uh, WGU. It's not very often that we get the opportunity to interact with the student on, on an interview to hear their story and see how WGU is impacting their lives. And essentially, uh, that is what we do. That is our mission to impact lives for the better or changing lives for the better through education. And we do that by removing barriers uh, for students uh, to pursue higher education. And I think you've heard from Asia's story, uh, some of the hurdles or barriers that she had uh, on her journey along her way to WGU. Uh, WGU is the nation's first and largest competency-based university. We were founded 25 years ago by 19 Western state governors, uh, really uh, developed to uh, address the needs of those students who weren't necessarily served well by traditional universities uh, and removing those barriers just in terms of financial and flexibility. Uh, again, as a competency-based university, uh, we allow our students to progress um, as they can demonstrate mastery and skills of specific competencies. Uh, and we believe that model, along with our six-month flat tuition rate, gives students the ability to actually see the end of their journey, understanding the time commitment, understanding the financial commitment. 
uh, a semester at WGU, Western Governors University, is a little over $4,000 per six-month term. And so, again, the competency-based model, we allow our students to complete as many courses within that six months without the price of that tuition increasing for that six-month term. Again, this gives a little bit of ownership to those students who can leverage prior learning experience, control costs, and control time uh, in their education endeavors. Uh, and the ironic that your podcast is, is termed Redefining Society. We absolutely believe that we are helping redefine the society uh, by, again, giving those students uh, who weren't necessarily well served the opportunity to pursue their higher education endeavors. Uh, and then this is just one example of, of how we're doing that, how we're removing barriers, and again, giving people the opportunity to enhance their skill set, increase their value uh, in the workforce and ultimately reinvigorate the promise of higher education, which is a job opportunity, a resilient job opportunity at the end of that journey, uh, and the opportunity to advance overall as society. We absolutely believe that as a society, we all do better if we can all pursue that opportunity from an equitable standpoint. Uh, and so this is our mission, and this is what we're um, here to do. And again, just happy to join the podcast and talk a little bit more about some of the exciting scholarships and things that we're doing to help remove those barriers. That's exactly what we are going to to do in Asia. I mean, you, you said something at the beginning as you were explaining your kind of change of heart or interest from one career to another. And you said, and catch my attention, you know, and it was too late. And, and I know what you were referring because you were already into that course, but what I, what I feel is like now with technology and with this different approach to education, I don't know if it's ever too late. Uh, maybe we want to talk about that, like that we are allowed in this society uh, nowadays to, to change our careers at any time. I mean, I'm 54 years old and I feel like I am keep changing. I don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up. So Asia, what was that made you change uh, your mind and, and your heart into choosing a different um, a different career? Um, so I chose nonprofit management because um, honestly, like it wasn't really that intellectually like challenging, I guess. Like I kind of needed that break from like having to think too hard um, just because I was really burnt out like from high school and like dealing with like, like undiagnosed like autism and stuff like that. I wasn't diagnosed until I was 24 years old last year. Um, so it kind of put into perspective like why my experiences were like this growing up and like mm -hmm. why I had, to, and I, was, I also have ADHD as well. So that was also like another reason why I found it really difficult to do um, work that was, that required a lot of like mental energy and stuff. Um, so yeah, the reason I said it felt too late at the time was cause I was already really deep into my program was maybe like one year left, like a couple of semesters left in my uh, first bachelor's degree. I'm like, well, I'm already made it this far, so I might as well finish it out type thing. Cause otherwise I would have had to go back to school to like do all the um, four year program for like prerequisites and stuff like that again. Um, so when I moved to California, I'm like, you know, I don't really want to go back to grad school again. Cause it's not really that flexible because I'm still working on like a typical semester school scheduled time. So when I was doing research, I'm like, you know, I still wanted like a formal STEM degree, but I also wanted something that was still flexible enough where I could 
you know, manage my doctor's appointments and therapy sessions and like just kind of breaks I needed to kind of just recuperate and stuff like that. Um, so I decided to enroll in WGU in October 22 because of their flexibility. And uh, I graduated from an online high school that operated in a similar way. So it's nice being able to work on my own time and pace again. Mm. Um, yeah. That's very good. And I, I think, Rick, I, I guess you, you, you may have something to say about the way that you structure the courses and this vision to make it more accessible, more flexible for, for people to, to, to join the, the college, the university. Uh, absolutely. Uh, again, our founders were uh, ingenious in helping us establish Western Governors as a competency-based university uh, 25 years ago. Uh, and really establishing ourselves as a nonprofit university, um, being very, very student centric, meeting students where they where they are. Uh, can you can you tell for the audience what 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 does exactly mean to be nonprofit university? Uh, nonprofit is we're not in this for the profit. We're not answering the shareholders. Our shareholders are our students. Uh, we want to ensure that we can deliver on the promise of making sure that they earn or acquire or attain the skills in high demand fields. Uh, we work very closely with employers to make sure that our courses are structured in which we have the latest skills and competencies associated with specific courses. Again, leading to that, that the, the demand of skills in the workforce. Uh, and so we are structured in that way. And I think Asia spoke to it uh, earlier that she can go at her own pace. Uh, right. One of our founders, um, uh, um, our founders just in general, uh, base it up on skills and competencies. And again, as students master those skills and competencies uh, associated with a course, they can advance. Uh, and so again, those students who are determined uh, and motivated can accelerate uh, as fast as they would like, or uh, those individuals who may have time constraints, uh, family obligations, or you know, um, different work hours, uh, they can choose to attend courses on their time take exams on their time, uh, which makes it, again, a very flexible, accessible model uh, in which we think students, again, who are not well served by traditional higher ed, who have more rigid schedules and timeframes, uh, it makes higher education a possibility. They don't have to choose between, you know, taking care of themselves, taking care of their families, taking care of, you know, financial obligations and going to college or pursuing higher education. Again, we've tried to remove those barriers and make it as accessible and flexible uh, to our student population as possible. Um, and so, yeah, again, just being very, very student-centric and mindful uh, of some of the friction points that our students would experience at a traditional uh, university. And, and this makes just perfect sense for Asia to feel more comfortable in this kind of uh, course than than would have been in, in, in other way. Let's talk, uh, Asia, about the Again, your choice and love for technology and open source and artificial intelligence, all of that. I, I'd love to to know what what is the motivating you. I, I talk about technology and humanity a lot, and I always feel like what's serving what. We actually have a show called Redefining Technology when I say, you know, we need to use technology to make our life, our society better. So, you know, there is a redefining society and a redefining technology in order to serve that. So I'm curious, you know, what is this driving you to, to study this field? Um, so I've noticed that like when apps, you know, are first like incepted, like I'm sure like 
uh, things like Facebook at the time, for example, it was initially meant to just like connect with people like friends and family and like coworkers and like just people like in your general network, right? But now it's kind of metastasized into like this multi-billion dollar, like, you know, very like invasive, like pretty much just advertising company uh, posing as just a social media company where like 92% of like their revenue is from uh, data, like tracking people online, like their data and targeted ads and all that. Um, and I feel like, you know, if we were to give people like informed consent about like, you know, what they're actually doing with your data and stuff like that, um, you know, people would, you know, give an opt-in option or something like that. But I don't think a lot of people realize like how much of their like personal life is being monetized from like data companies and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, you're talking about, and I completely agree. I'm going to jump yeah. in myself. I mean, this the the company many times they they're born with the founder's idea that they need to serve a certain purpose, but then the purpose become the money and the shareholder and all they want is yeah. yeah. And so they, they kind of like move their vision. And I don't know if you want to talk about Google. I remember their mantra was do no evil. And a lot of people like now make sense about that because (laughs) I feel like maybe there is a little bit of evil there. So um, I agree with you. I agree with you. Also things like TikTok where they're kind of engineered to kind of keep you hooked on the app. Mm. And same with Instagram and stuff like that. Um, and I don't think we really realize like how much these addictive types of apps are like affecting, especially like impressionable like children and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's causing more depression in people. Um, and again, like I'm sure in the beginning when someone first thought of this idea, it was intentionally to just be like, oh, like, you can make videos online, but then like it always at some point when apps start making money and like becomes public and like shareholders start having to say like it just becomes like this kind of capitalist monster that like uh you know turned into something that like you know wasn't really the original really mission or purpose in the first Mm. place i guess no i i Um, agree so technology technology to to serve again as i said before humanity so what comes first like are we following the blinking lights or are we saying this is what we need let's build the technology to do this and I, i'm going to go back to rick here because your courses do if i understand correctly and tell me if i'm not do focus on technology and you also i'm assuming you do use te- technology yourself to give the better chances to students to participate at don leisure i mean I go back and I think many, many years ago without the internet, there wasn't really an option. I mean, so tell me maybe about the role of technology and the value that that a, a more advanced way to see education may, may bring to everybody. Uh, fantastic. Thanks again, Marco. Um, I should probably state that we have four different colleges uh, and 60 degree programs, both at the bachelor's and master's levels. Uh, in high demand fields. And so we have our School of Education, our Levitt School of Health, our College of Business, and of course, our College of Information Technology. Mm. Uh, it just so happens that uh, today we're talking about technology. Okay. 
in Good. our college. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, just in general, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, again, we were invented 25 years ago just as the Internet uh, was coming on board. And I think this is probably uh, one of the more uh, innovative things that WGU did 25 years ago was really leveraging the technology to meet students where they are and coming up with a model of education where students can access it uh, in an effects, in a flexible and affordable way. Again, removing those barriers and opening up opportunities uh, to more students to pursue higher education, um, even those adult learners who have some college and no degree and because of some circumstances had to drop out. Uh, there was no viable pathway that allowed them to uh, kind of like pursue education. Uh, just a little anecdotal story uh, as I kind of like reflect on why WGU for me, um, I commuted uh, from Long Beach to a well-known university here in Los Angeles. Uh, it was a 28-mile uh, commute. Um, 28 miles actually took two hours both ways. And one of the thoughts I had uh, on my way uh, to work and even home and just kind of stuck with me, uh, if I'm looking to upskill and improve my circumstances and education is that surest way to the next opportunity, in that dynamic of having to support a family and work two hours away, what educational opportunity is it if I just look at it from the lens of the traditional model? It became very difficult to even consider uh, enrolling in a traditional school, just kind of given the time commitment of traffic, uh, the time commitment to you know, get to the campus, the time commitment to sit through a four hour class, three or four days a week, and then ultimately the commute at home only to start uh, the cycle over again. The prospect of the time commitment and the mental stress of dealing with all that, pursuing additional degree, uh, upskilling, taking additional courses became an insurmountable task just kind of given the nuances of that, that, that dynamic. Mm -hmm. I was contacted by WGU uh, and learned a little bit more about online competency, uh, accessing courses on your time, leveraging what you may already be learning on your job to help you accelerate through courses and material that you may already know. So you have more time to focus on the things that you don't know. Uh, that became the answer in terms of anybody dealing with those type of circumstances, uh, be it time commitment, limited time because of family obligations or work obligations, uh, taking care of your mother, taking care of your children, financial constraints. Those barriers have been removed with WGU, uh, us being student centric, being nonprofit, lowering our tuition to the point where it's just a little over $4,000 per six month term. And the ability to take as many courses as you can finish within that six month term and still be able to control the price. Mm -hmm. To me, that opens up the door to a number of students who find themselves grappling with, how do I improve my circumstances? Understanding that education is the surest pathway to that opportunity, WGU is that way. Uh, it gives you that opportunity. Uh, it gives you the chance to improve your circumstances. Uh, and again, just happy um, and grateful that I have the opportunity to try to make this available to all. Uh, and we help, again, mitigate some of those financial obligations through specific scholarships. Uh, yeah, let's talk, let's talk about that because there is an equal opportunity. And I want to hear Asia on, on this as well. With 
your background, Asia, in, in, in all the stories that you're telling and, and the difficulty that you had to deal with and how this may meet your need. But, you know, there is an equal opportunity from a financial, a social demographic perspective, but then there is an equal opportunity that we talk more and more. And I don't think we talk enough about it on how women access technology, uh, women in cybersecurity, women in tech, and, and giving, you know, this opportunity not because we 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 think it's important to facilitate that, but because we've been doing things wrong for for a long time, right? So um, I think you, you actually got into this course through a scholarship. So maybe together the two of you can tell me about this scholarship and how the um, the grant, the Women in Tech program, uh, comes to comes to play. So as a first year perspective on women in tech. Why is, are we still talking about it? Um, yeah, so one of the main like reasons why I joined WGU because I got an email from an enrollment counselor about this uh, scholarship opportunity because um, I'm already in a lot of student debt for my grad program that I wasn't even able to finish because I got sick. Um, so I knew I had to take out some more money out to be able to go back to school, but definitely getting a scholarship that was especially catered towards women, people like my situation where, you know, I'm Asian and Latina and I'm neurodivergent and, you know, I don't come from like, like a wealthy background or like someone that comes from generational wealth. So definitely scholarships have, are very helpful and, you know, being able to, you know, improve my situation in a way that still works for me. Um, because I went to an online high school from ninth to 12th grade. I graduated from an online high school and I liked being able to just, um, you know, get through classes as quickly as I like uh, could or like as uh, take as long as I need to get to my classes. So going to like a regular college was uh, going back to like that kind of strict, uh, you have to finish from this time to this time, uh, like schedule type thing, like it was, not really good for my uh, mental health because I don't really work on other people's time like that. Um, so um, yeah, finding WGU and like that scholarship especially um, has been great for me because I honestly wish I had known about WGU when I graduated high school. So I would have gone there the first time mm -hmm. around and just been, uh, you know, done with my degree and like probably in like a career already. But you know, I'm 25 and I kind of feel like a late bloomer a little bit, but I feel like now I was kind of like, I have a clean slate and a second chance now to kind of do what I feel like the path I should have been on this entire time, you know? Well, that's, that's great. Yeah. That's, that's great. And trust me, I mean, I don't think 25 and or even 35, it's too late, but yeah. you know, I, I mean, how many times, Rick, we look back and and you're like, oh, if I only knew then what I know now. I mean, <laughs> it's easy, right? But um, how do you, prov I don't know, how how do you foresee the future? And I know it's, I'm not asking you to put a, you know, a thin foil hat on it, but the the university, you, you make this um, partnership, uh, you, you create this scholarship. Where do you see and who does decide what are the important uh, group of people to to help and to facilitate and and how you select your partners in doing this? 
Um, well, again, it's ironic that we're on a podcast called Redefining Society. There is um, a reason for that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think when you look at the makeup of those individuals who are in technology, um, you know, you have Black, Latina, and Native American women account for 16% of the population, but only 4% of them are in the computing workforce. Um, you know, you look at uh, you know, just the, the, the CEO levels of Fortune 500 companies almost are completely absent of women of color uh, in these positions. Um, and so we've identified uh, a need for more representation uh, coming from Black, Latina, and Native American women. Uh, and we joined with uh, Reboot Representation uh, to address this need and created this scholarship. Um, so thus far, we've awarded 60 scholarships, uh, $2,500 uh, each, um, $1,250 from a donor, and the other uh, $1,250 we match uh, from WGU for a total of $150,000. Uh, and again, when you, I mean, on, on its face, in the traditional sense, $2,500 doesn't sound like a lot. Uh, but again, given our little over $4,000 six-month tuition schedule, that's a 50% tuition scholarship uh, with the ability to accelerate uh, at your pace. Uh, and so you can have all of that, you know, uh, $4,000, half of your uh, tuition covered if you're determined and motivated um, to, to complete the program. Um, and so again, we've identified this gap and we've partnered with uh, Reboot Representation and we belong to a coalition of other partners who feel the same way that we need to address this need. Um, so our partners uh, in this effort, or I should say members of the coalition include uh, Walmart, Amazon, Salesforce, uh, Verizon, Comcast, NBC Universal, LinkedIn, Adobe, and Microsoft. Uh, those are some very influential companies uh, who are committed to increasing diversity in the tech space, particularly for women of color. Uh, and again, this is just part of our ethos uh, at WGU, where we serve, uh, you know, traditionally underserved students because of our tuition model, because of our uh, nonprofit status, um, because it seems to be more accessible uh, for those individuals who are constrained by the traditional model. 70% uh, of our students come from one or more underserved backgrounds. Uh, they're rural residents, low-income earners, first-generation college students, or students of color. Uh, again, it is just part of the fabric uh, of our DNA and who we are as a university. Uh, again, to increase those pathways for those individuals uh, who just don't, the traditional route uh, is not serving them well. And so this is just another example and just hearing Asia's story of, of how we continue to make a difference, how we continue to create pathways uh, for individuals to pursue the things that they want to do. Uh, and I'm just excited to hear about Asia's background and the things that she would like to do uh, and to be part of her journey at WGU, because just hearing her story, uh, I know that she will carry on the tradition of WGU of making an impact uh, in her community uh, and and do it in a way where she represents not only herself, uh, but WGU well. And again, just happy to be part of their journey and, and help her pursue her passions through this scholarship. 
And I, I would like to take your lead on this and pass the ball to Asia. And, you know, we've got about five minutes left maybe on the conversation and maybe start projecting into into the future, into this vision that Rick kind of, you know, hinted to in Asia. What What is your goal once you, or your inspiration, your your vision for, you know, what, what, what do you want to do once you, once you're done with the, with the education part? Well, how would you like to become part and contribute in the, te- I know it's in the technology field, but um, any, any vision for it, for your future? Um, I think my ultimate like professional goal is to probably just own my own tech company someday. Um, I live in Silicon Valley now, so um, you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by like a bunch of tech bros and like a lot of the CEOs here are just like, you know, like white men. Uh, there's not really a lot of female representation in like uh, executive positions in tech or anything like that. So I think it would be kind of really cool one day to, you know, be someone, you know, that, you know, is a minority and a woman and comes from like a, uh, you know, has like a neurodivergent as well. And like being able to be in a leadership position in that way, that kind of, uh, kind of breaks the mold and like stereotype that people kind of have in their minds when they think of like someone that's a CEO or like, you know, big like tech hotshot, something like that, you know. That's so, wonderful. I, yeah. I completely support that. And, and I hope that's going to be part of your path. I mean, I had conversation with people that have their own business, women um, of colors, women of Asian um, provenance, even somebody from, um, uh, the Eastern Europe not too long ago, and they're all part of, there is an artificial intelligence um, group of women that are investors or they have startup in that in that area. CES in Las Vegas just happened uh, less than a month ago, and we talked to some uh, women leading uh, the, the, the pace in, uh, in Europe, uh, in Switzerland and so forth, and working on what a, is known as a um, tech for good or business for good, where you you do something good for the environment, for the health, for society in general, and you also make money and you give jobs to to people. So that's that's really nice. Uh, Asia, I'm curious. You you mentioned artificial intelligence in one of in, in open source in one of your initial uh, presentation in your initial presentation. W- what is fascinating you the most about? artificial intelligence um, so are you afraid of it or are you welcoming it um i definitely think it could be used for things that are bad but i definitely think we should be saying human-centered artificial intelligence so you know creating algorithms and like things that like where it serves us and not like goes against us or is used to exploit uh you know people in society in general um yeah, like for example, like everyone's talking about like chat, uh, chat GPT now, and I actually mm-hmm. um, use chat GPT to help uh, make like user profiles for my UX uh, user experience design course WGU um, as like a like an aid, as a helpful like like oh like help me come up with like a user profile for you know a thirty year old woman that uh, is a marketing manager you know wants to go on vacation here for example. Um, and it helps create something like that for me. Um, and I think it's interesting how like things like that can be used as like aids or tools to help 
you know, make your workflow go a little faster for things that, you know, you don't really, really want to focus on. So you can, uh, you know, work on other things that are, uh, you know, require more of your time, uh, for example. Um, I love, I love that. And I, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of people are scared. A lot of people make sensational headlines on, there's no more writers because AI is going to take over writing chat DGP in this case for, for everyone. And I'm like, well, maybe if you're a very mediocre writer, you may be scared about it. But if, you, if you're good at what you do, I don't think you're going to have the problem. But again, I agree with the fact that AI and technology should support what we do, not take our place, but help us to focus on what is maybe more important. So that's, yeah, a, that's a beautiful be vision. Yeah, there definitely needs to be like, you know, like an ethics community, like in governments also to kind of like make regulations about like how artificial intelligence can be used, like on a large scale like that, um, to avoid things like, you know, the conspiracy theory saying like, oh, like AI is going to like uh, cause mass human extinction one day, you know, something like that, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, uh, there is a lot of conversation going on right now, and I'm sure we're going to keep talking about that. Like even even disciplines like philosophy, now they are much more relevant when we talk about how we do interact with with artificial intelligence and, and technology. And, and sometimes I look back and I'm like, oh, I should have uh, go and study philosophy back in my days. But, you know, you, you can still study now and be a, uh, you know, keeping the rhythm of all the change because technology is really changing so much. Uh, I'd like to finish here, giving an opportunity for uh, uh, to Rick to maybe uh, make one one call for uh, other student, maybe like Asia, that can find the the good path and the good uh, course that may fit their schedule on uh, on the university, on the Governor University. Fantastic, Marco. Uh, I just want to say that our, our goal with this effort uh, is really in partnership with Reboot uh, Representation uh, is that by 2025, uh, we want to support uh, 552 Black, Latina, uh, Native American women in the computing techs, tech space and help them pursue their, their bachelor's degree in completion at WGU. That'll be a 251% increase in 2025 compared to the baseline year of 2021. Uh, we're looking for other individuals just like Asia uh, who find themselves in circumstances uh, in which the traditional route is not uh, serving them well uh, to reach our goal again of creating uh, a new pipeline of talent uh, for women of color in the technology space uh, and welcome uh, the opportunity to be a part of those journeys as well uh, as we look for and continue to carve out equitable pathways uh, for all uh, in helping them reach uh, their desired goals or their desired outcomes. Uh, and I would invite anybody who is interested, if it's not technology, uh, maybe there's something in business, uh, if you're passionate about teaching or even passionate about uh, the healthcare industry. Again, we have four different colleges that uh, cover those different fields and 60 degree programs. Uh, and I would invite uh, individuals who are interested or find themselves in circumstances and they want to pursue higher education and don't think it's possible to do a traditional means or a traditional pathway uh, to visit uh, our website at uh, www.wgu.edu. Uh, 
Uh, and again, we, we're here to help uh, and serve. And one thing I will mention that kind of makes us unique and, and uh, different, different from other universities is that we have program mentors that are with that student from the moment they enroll to the moment that they graduate. And I think that's just another component in which uh, we're being very student centric and we help that journey or help that student along their journey to completion. And again, it's, it's just a, something that we do um, to try to help ensure that our students are successful. That's great. Asia, anything uh, you wanna add before we say goodbye to our audience? Um, I just want to say that I'm just glad that the school exists. Um, and like, I really do wish that I was just able to do this right after high school. Um, like, this is honestly like the only, you know, type of school that, you know, I've ever, uh, been comfortable and like, where I feel like I can actually like succeed and excel in this type of format. So. Yeah. Wow. There, there couldn't be a, a better, uh, review break than than this one don't you think i think it's perfect <laughs> absolutely. absolutely and again i'm just grateful that we can be a part of her journey um and help her uh, achieve her goals that's fantastic and i want to close here by thanking you both for bringing uh, the perspective of the the university and the student and i i wish uh, both of you the best and i invite the audience to learn more about uh, the, the university. There will be notes and way to get in touch with Rick and Asia if she wants to share her uh, social media or whatever or not, but you should check the notes and uh, share the conversation. Maybe there is people now that you know and they will be very interested to, to join this kind of opportunity. So again, this was Redefining Society. Education is and was and it will be also always a, a topic that we need to cover very important for creating the society that we want and that's what we're trying to do here on redefining society so Rick, again thank you so much asia thank you so much and uh for everybody listening uh, take care stay tuned for another episode of redefining society on itsp magazine BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. <laughs>